This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at digitalocean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 69 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Aaron Frost. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, I just want to remind you all to go check out JS Remote Conf, jsremoteconf.com. We also have a special guest this week, and that's Pascal Precht. And I know I <laughs> killed it. So you, Dude, you want to introduce was yourself? Good. It, was, it was indeed pretty good. Yeah, hello. <laughs> I, I get credit for pretty good. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So you want to tell everybody who's listening who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. So my name is Pascal. I'm from Hanover, Germany. Uh, it's pretty gray and rainy there today. And uh, yeah, I'm a software engineer and a trainer uh, at ThoughtRam, which is a company that I'm running with my buddy Christoph. And uh, yeah, we do Angular trainings. We do Git trainings. Um, we uh, work a little bit on the Angular 2 project here and there. We do uh, open source contributions a lot. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what we're doing. And yeah. I was going to say, uh, we brought you on. Lucas actually recommended that we bring you on and talk a little bit about some of your contributions to the body of work out there regarding Angular 2. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you've done and What's out there as far as being able to learn Angular 2, especially since we're getting close to it going into beta? Right. So, so here's the thing. There, there are currently plenty developers working on the Angular 2 documentation. And uh, it just happens that Christoph and I are, are also part of it. So, so it started all from our side, basically, with us writing a lot of technical articles in our um, ThoughtRam blog. And uh, we started that last year where we started a article series on exploring Angular 1.3. We basically wrote articles on the main uh, 
the main topics or the main features that come into this uh, release. And we continued with that over the month by uh, yeah, writing articles on Angular 2. And it turned out that a lot of people are interested in Angular 2, of course, and that a lot of people also like what we are writing about. So at some point, we basically reached out to Brad Green and we said, yo, listen, we are writing these articles and the community seems to seems to love them. So how about we uh, help out with the documentation? Because it seemed like there's not no one really working on it, but there wasn't so much working on, on this project. So uh, we offered our help and... Yeah, they said that they like it. So we started contributing to the documentation. We uh, mainly worked uh, until now on the uh, dependency injection guides uh, together with Ward Bell, who is currently not on this show, but maybe he jumps in later. And uh, we're uh, about to uh, work on some other chapters for the documentation. Yeah, I know Ward's been trying to join, but uh, I guess there's uh, network issues or something somewhere, so... We're hoping to get him right. on, but yeah. So when you're looking at Angular 2 and you're trying to decide, okay, we need more documentation here, or we're trying to decide where to contribute to, how do you make that call? What makes you go, okay, this is the place where we want to spend our time? Well, re regarding the, the documentation itself, it's mainly Ward who is actually in charge of kind of assigning chapters to the uh, authors. And uh, we're basically discussing with him what is needed, and then he... Most of the time, he knows about he knows about it. He knows what is needed. He knows which uh, gaps uh, need to be filled. And um, when we uh, write our articles, we basically um, we just think about some topics that we want to learn about, like something that we don't know about yet, and then we dive into that topic, and then we start writing articles about it. And sometimes content from those yeah. articles also end up in the documentation. But it's mainly really the core team that decide what chapters need to be written next or where more content needs to be written for. Oh, uh, gotcha. So how many people are with you guys on this? Like, how many people are helping Ward out? Like, you guys included how many additional people? Right. So I think we just started with Christoph and myself and, and Ward. And then we expanded with uh, John Papa and a couple of other other guys. And, uh, and in fact, there were some plenty new people popping up uh, in the in the uh, Slack chat or whatever we're using there. I don't know. I think we have about maybe ten people working on this now. What specifically are like the pieces of the documentation that you're working on? Like, what's been assigned to you guys? Since we, uh, I think one of the topics that we digged into uh, into the the most was uh, dependency injection. So we uh, worked on the on the chapter on dependency injection and also advanced dependency injection. So like everything from starting with like simple service injection and these kind of things uh, to uh, hierarchical injections. So there are basically two parts in the documentation right now that are covered for dependency injection. But we still have to do some more work on that, to be honest. What's changed in the dependency injection? So everything changed. It's oh, is like, that all? Yeah, it's, it's just that. The whole framework changes, so, so does dependency injection. So in Angular 1, you have basically... You have a flat dependency injection system. So 
let's say, if you build your own application with your own Angular module and you're using a third-party library, uh, which is another module, and uh, it introduces some services that might have the same name that a service in your module has, then this kind of conflicts, like the, the last one wins. This is just because you only have one injector in your entire application. And, and this is kind of fixed in, in Angular 2, not just kind of, it's actually fixed very well. In Angular 2, you have not just a single injector, but you have multiple injectors. So when you when you build an application in Angular 2, or you start you start off with a component, then each component behind the scenes gets its own injector, even if you don't know it. There's even a thing called platform injector, which basically sets up injection bindings or like providers for you that you can share across applications. Because in Angular 2, you can also bootstrap multiple applications, which is uh, pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, so it's it's very different in, in the sense that you don't just deal with a single injector. You can really configure on a component level how dependencies are yeah, created for your specific component. And that becomes that changes the way in which um, a lot of things are are given to say a component. For example, I mean, I think about you know an Angular one when you would write um, a link function or something like that, and you had a fixed number of parameters and they would be tossed in. Now they don't have to do that because they can inject anything at any time. Yeah, that's that's correct. You don't have those uh, parameters uh, that you have in the link function anymore. You can inject everything everywhere because. So originally there were like two injectors. You had like the like the normal kind of dependency injector for your normal dependencies, and then you had this element injector. I think there's technically there's I think still an element injector, but this is like a kind of an implementation detail. The, the point is that when you build an Angular two application and you uh, you have a component, let's say you build a tabs component which has tab child components. Then and you are in your tab component to ask for the tabs component. Then you can just simply ask for it through dependency injection, like as you do with every other dependency as well. So there's basically there's nothing different really. It's the same syntax, the same APIs, which is pretty cool. Now, when they, because uh, you said you talked to Brad Green and they kind of assigned you this area of expertise to write the documentation for, how do you go about figuring this out? Does the core team just explain it to you and then you write it down so normal people can understand it? Or do you go dig into the code? Yeah, that's, so actually the, the latter is the case. So when we work on the documentation and also, I mean, Ward is also into this. He, he wrote tons of documentation for testing. It's pretty much like this. We we are in this Slack chat and we can totally ask the core team questions. But of course, they have also a ton of work to do. So um, they, they can't always answer questions or maybe it takes some time until you really get your actual answer. So what happens is that you have to start digging into the code or you start playing with, with the code and, and see what happens. When, when I started digging into dependency injection, I had the, so it was a bit easier for me because there was already some documentation for de dependency injection in Angular 2, um, like right into the repository because someone wrote it already. It was very, very technical and not super complete, but there was something there, like something that at least described how the API works. 
and and this helped me to understand this the system and it helped me to um yeah getting started with it to at least play with it a little bit and then to explore how things work in this di system once i've done that i digged a bit deeper and i, I really checked out the source code and you know kind of looked what's going on there and then tried out some edge cases because you always stumble upon some questions, um, and then if there's no one you can ask, then you have only two options. You either read the source code, and then you understand it, or you start like playing with the code and, and trying to reproduce your question and then trying to find that answer. And this is what we're actually doing most of the time, but we have some 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 help and guidance uh, from the core team when we have questions or I don't know Wart do you have some thoughts on that? Well, yeah, and, and I think you're doing the digging so that everybody out there doesn't have to. I mean, the role of an author in the dev guide is to not to prevent you from getting to the APIs, but you know, if any of us have ever dropped into APIs before, it's all like, uh, how do I turn this screw and flip that lever? And Pascal's job, the author's job, is to make you not get down at just at the nuts and bolts, but to understand why. What good is it? And so one of the things that Pascal's doing in there is also telling stories about how you would use this thing called DI. Now, you know, the API will tell you how to flip things, but Pascal's going to tell you why you're going to need it, what problem you're going to solve, that kind of thing. I think that's the fun part of your job. Don't you agree? Yeah, pretty much, especially because this is an approach that I haven't like done before. Like when I wrote articles uh, at ThoughtRam, I kind of started the other way around. I usually, I just started explaining the technical things, like how you can do things. And I'm like super excited about it. And then I write about it. And then when I, when I started working on the documentation with Ward together, he was like reviewing, reviewing my, my documentation content. And then he said, yeah. I mean, this is all nice and everything, but, you know, there's still this question, like, why do you want to do it? And it's like, as soon as you start thinking about the why, like, why do you need this feature? And what is the motivation? Um, and in which use case do you really need it? You write your content totally different because you can also, you can leave out a lot of stuff. Whereas in our articles, we go very, very deep into the topic we kind of cover some things that might never end up in the documentation because it's too technical, it's too uh, low level, and you might not ever need it. So Ward is really helping out in like giving you the right feeling for what content should go in and which questions should be answered. But it's challenging too. So when we uh, started with the DI guide and, and, and the advanced topics, Christoph and I, we, we realized that if we want to cover a certain subtopic of this chapter, we really need to come up with an, with a use case for it. And it turned out that like for some topics, we couldn't really come up with something. And then we decided to just leave it out for now, because if we cannot come up with a use case, well, then it's probably not needed for now. Then it's not important enough, or maybe it isn't important enough, but if even we cannot come up with a with a use case, then how should ever uh, come someone up with something who's like starting with a framework? Yeah, if, so, if, yeah, it's, if, mm -hmm. someone else, if someone else finds a need for it, they can do a pull request and get it in the documentation, right? That's right, exactly. I think the other thing that, that Pascal's doing is when you look at these APIs, there's a, like five or six different ways you could come at it. But as a developer, there's certain things that feel more natural and more comfortable than others. 
And it's Pascal's job to find the ones that feel natural, at least feel natural for the use case. And that's a, since nobody's ever written Angular 2 apps before, you know, that's a voyage of discovery. Yeah, that's true. Also, uh, what comes into play is that while the, the, the framework is still in alpha, we are very close to beta now, but, you know, APIs are still changing here and there. And um, when you uh, write documentation, you also realize that like some APIs are not, I mean, they're probably never going to be perfect, but some APIs are just not really, they don't really fit, you know, what you're doing right now. And then sometimes we also just end up having discussions for, I don't know how long, like talking about how this DI API should be called now. And then, so it's like a lot of energy that, that goes into that. But I think the consequence is that you're helping make the product better by acting in the role of the user and saying, hey, you know, if this doesn't make sense to me who's spending all this time here, maybe the API has to improve. And then we get into those discussions you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. By the way, I, in, my, in my view, you've been doing that for a very long time, long before you joined this project. Well, yeah, that's right. We we started with our with our technical articles like almost a year ago, but we started like really digging into Angular two. I think at the beginning of this year, and uh, you know the first things we did were also just getting started articles like how to build a tabs component, how to build a zippy component, or whatever. And and then we yeah dig deeper into other topics. But yeah, it's it's indeed challenging. But it's also fun at the same time, and and you get you know great insights of the framework. And uh, if you are uh, someone who's teaching the technology to other people, which is what I'm doing, then this is very helpful because when you dig so deep into this technology, it really helps you to provide better content, you know, for your classes. Like when you when you teach to someone. You've been doing a lot of training recently on this kind of stuff. What are you finding people's reaction? Well, so in general, it's it's like this. You know, we're doing Angular 1 trainings currently mainly. Like here and there, we've done some Angular 2 trainings, like getting started trainings. But it always happens that, that more and more people are explicitly asking for how do I upgrade to Angular 2 and what does that look like in Angular 2 and how do I do this in Angular 2 and will this feature still be there in Angular 2? So there's already a lot of interest out there. And in the, you know, the Angular 2 uh, trainings that we've done so far, it turned out that some things or like most of the things turned out to be very clear to everyone. Like, I don't know when it, for example, when you build a component in Angular 2 and it's really just an ES 2015 class with some decorators on it, it feels very, very natural to most of the users. They, they don't have to learn directive definition object anymore. You know, this huge thing that we're using in Angular 1. So that feels more natural to them. And then on the other hand, the dependency injection, like the new dependency injection where you have multiple injectors, this is something that a lot of people seem to struggle with because they really have to rethink how they can provide dependencies for their components and and that they can actually kind of override dependencies in their component tree. This is like a like a new thing. And I think people have to just kind of let this sink in and understand that this particular part of the framework is indeed a bit more complex, but it's also way more powerful and way more flexible. 
And to be fair, you can almost pretend that it's flat if you want to. In other words, you can start and load everything up at the top if you want to and just pretend it isn't hierarchical and get away with that pretense for a while. But you're going to be, as you say, you're going to be tempted to find out what this is all about. And then, then you're on that journey with you. Yeah, that's very true. So are you guys also writing the documentation for things like NG Upgrade? So yeah, so as far as I know, um, Tero, uh, I, can't, I think I can't really pronounce his, his last name, but... Um, Just Taropa. Just call him Taropa. Ah, Taropa, yeah. Taropa on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So he's working on a chapter on uh, NG Upgrade. And I think he also, he just recently, he Twittered that he upgraded a project successfully using NG Upgrade. So there's surely something nice coming very soon. Yeah, I saw that tweet. That was actually like kind of uh, confidence inspiring to see that someone like him was like to use it. And it, he said it just worked, which is actually kind of gives us a hope, right? That it might work. Definitely, definitely. The The interesting thing is that th this year at Angular Connect, I, I gave a workshop on upgrading to Angular 2. So during that workshop, we really used the uh, ng upgrade module to uh, take an existing Angular 1 application and then upgrade it to Angular 2. And at this time, the ng upgrade package wasn't really a package. So you couldn't really just use it right out of the box. You had to like hard copy the source code into your project so you can use it. But it worked out. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like the, the APIs might still change at some point, but yeah, it's, it's, it's nice that it's working. You can really, you can use Angular 1 and Angular 2 side by side and use, like make Angular 1 and Angular 2 components into operating, which is very, very cool. In the documentation, is there something that um, explains when, how, how I'm going to use the, the Angular 1.5 components to upgrade more easily to Angular 2? I'm not sure if we if we plan to cover this one in the Angular 2 documentation, to be honest, because the dot component helper is it is indeed a helper in that sense that it's kind of simplifying the uh, directive uh, API because you know it gives you some defaults and then you don't have to configure everything when you build a component directive. But when it really comes to, to like upgrading, I don't even think that this component helper will really help because, mm. you know, it like technically it doesn't really help with the upgrade itself. It's a nice API for you to create components. And of course, if you think in components, then you are closer to Angular 2. Uh, that's for sure. But I don't think it's really helping with an upgrade because when you upgrade, there are actually really two things you can do, uh, or, or three things. So you either really do a big bang upgrade, which is really like rewriting the whole application, which I think is what will happen, uh, for most of the applications out there as soon as, or as long as they're not too big. So if you have a small Angular one application, you can totally rewrite it in Angular two. That's probably the, the easiest thing you can do. The second option is to you componentize your Angular 1 application by maybe using dot component. You can do it. You don't have to, but you know, when it's there, then you can just use it. But the point is that as, as soon as you really have like components and you think in components, then you can really take component by component and, and rewrite them in Angular 2. So really it's not like a big bang, but like a, you make a big bang on each specific component. And the third option is, yeah, to really run both frameworks side by side 
and then use ng upgrade and then really you know make both frameworks communicate to each other that's upgrading for me like you know where you really have to use both at the same time you know it may be that the word uh, upgrade isn't quite helpful because it suggests that it's actually somehow transforming your angular one thing it's really helping them interoperate while you upgrade don't you think yeah. So, well, you know, when you use ng upgrade, and so maybe for those who don't know, in ng upgrade, you have a couple of APIs that allow you to make Angular 1 components work in an Angular 2 component and vice versa. But there's one thing that is always true, and that is when you have an Angular 1 application and you want to upgrade to Angular 2, you always have your Angular 1 module as a root component. So you always need that Angular 1 context, and that means you always have to kind of downgrade your Angular 2 components to make them run in your Angular 1 component or in your, in your Angular 1 app. And at the same time, you upgrade your Angular 1 components to make them work in your Angular 2 component. Sometimes it sounds a bit backwards, but technically what happens is that, in fact, when you upgrade an Angular 1 component to use it in your Angular 2 component, there are really some things that are used from the Angular 2 framework. So uh, I think as far as I know, the uh, things like view caching, for example, this is like a thing that is that really comes from the Angular 2 framework, even if you upgrade an Angular 1 component, and even if it's running in an Angular 1 module. So you, you really get some benefits. Could you so, elaborate a little bit on that view caching for a second there, Pascal? I don't know much about that. I'm not sure our viewers do. Oh, wow. I have no idea. It's just, it's just a buzzword that I'm throwing around. <laughs> no, 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 seriously, it's buzzword. I, I, <laughs> I read about it and I know it's there. And, you know, I, I see Brad Green talking about it in his keynotes, <laughs> but I have really no clue yet what, what it's all about. There's uh, this guy, Tobias Bosch. In the core team, he is doing some crazy work on the compiler and on you know performance improvements. I'm watching the repository and I'm seeing all these commits and pull requests coming in that he's doing. And you know, when I see his pull requests and you know the stuff that he's doing, I don't understand anything. It's like he's like optimizing on a level that I can even think of. And so I don't think I have an answer for that. <laughs> Actually, that may be a great answer because who needs another term to worry about? It may just be a way of describing what we'll all benefit from without even looking, which is the the work that Tobias is doing under the hood there. Because you're right, I, I'm listening in and it's always, well, I think I can make this four times faster. And then he goes off and does something. So it's kind of amazing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So can I, when you describe the layout of the documentation, you're calling it chapters. Like, what is a chapter? Just, I just want to understand how the, the documentation is going to end up being formatted. So, well, I think things are still moving, but, but currently, if you go to angular.io and then you go to docs, um, you can see on the left-hand side that there's this kind of sidebar, which is kind of you know, you have like sections like tutorial with the uh, Two of Heroes tutorial, um, which is mainly written by John Papa. It's, it's a great tutorial to get started. And then next to it, you have another section called developer guides. And that's basically, it's not just like one big guide. It's rather really um, single like sub guides. And one of those guides, for example, is a guide about uh, dependency injection. Or you have another guide about the template syntax or just about forms. 
but in this like in one particular guide you can have like you know different subsections that cover subtopics kind of isolated more or less and uh this i don't know this might change at some point because um you also have you know next to dependency injection you have hierarchical injectors which is actually part of dependency injection so we might have some nested structure there at some point but not sure what's what's the state of of this currently maybe ward has some more thoughts on this well i have thoughts it is thought to be as you drill into the dev guide section we tried to treat it as if each of those is a chapter now it may be that one chapter leads to the next so you have a dependency injection then an advanced dependency injection chapter right after it and maybe as as you say pascal we may be able to get some depth there but let's suppose that we didn't then you should really think of those things as one chapter after another and you pick a, you could pick a chapter that you're interested in a topic that you're interested in and go right to that chapter but they do have a sequence. There is some intention that uh, you'd be better off having read Chapter 3 before you read Chapter 6, for example. Does that answer your question, Aaron, or am I missing something? No, that answers it. Thanks, Ward. One of the challenges for the author is to both write as if you were going to parachute into that one chapter and not read anything else, and try and make it work within the context of the, the other ones around it. And Pascal's up to that challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Not always easy. Actually, it's more hard than easy, but yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to keep throwing the hard things at you, which is why I, I'm going to put you on the spot here and we can always cut it out. But I'm hoping that you're going to take on the challenge of giving the broad overview of Angular 2 that would sit right at the front so that when Aaron opens up the dev guide and he goes to chapter one, he's running into your chapter on the overview. So if you had to do that right now off the top of your head, how would you sort of sketch the architecture for people? What would you say so that they got it in about 10 minutes? This is really tough. <laughs> <laughs> I told you so, I'd put you on the spot. Charles, we can cut it out. <laughs> it's, it's all right. So the thing is that I'm, to be honest, I thought about exactly that. I thought about exactly that because Ward and I, we already chatted about this. And he said that, you know, he wants this kind of chapter or we need that chapter. And I thought, all right, so if we're going to do this one, we really need to think about how this, you know, what this should look like and what should go in. And and the, the problem with, with this topic, like, you know, giving a general overview is that you really need to have an overview of it. You need to have a kind of bird's eye view picture of this whole framework in order to write such a chapter for the documentation. So I think that, as in right now, <laughs> I don't think I know enough parts of the framework so that I can write such a chapter. So, you know, before I can, you know, tell you what this should look like or what I should do about it, I would, so the, f the first thing I would do then is to go to the repository and then kind of compiling all the different parts of it like as in very general, like what kind of modules do we have in there? And then, yeah, trying to kind of understanding the connection between all those different parts of the framework and then maybe come up with a sketch or something that, you know, gives you really like literally a picture that shows you what kind of parts you have. And then I might going to show it Ward. And once we talked about it, like two and a half hours, we're probably going to throw it away. And then he comes up with tons of better ideas. And then I'm going to do a new sketch. And then maybe at some point, some designer or someone is going to make it a real, really nice picture. And then I'm going to start writing content about it. 
I think you're being too modest, but because um, <laughs> you know, I, I can think of nobody better than you to to do this. So I know you'll bring it off. Yeah, you just put some pressure on it now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I am wondering a little bit with the documentation. It seems like you are looking for people probably to read it in a particular manner or even a particular order. So with the documentation, how should people approach it when they see it? Whew. Well, I think that, well, it, it really it really depends. So if you uh, start off with a framework, like you haven't done anything with it before, you just want to start learning it. I think the first thing as a user, what you should do is definitely check out the Tours of Heroes tutorial because it gives you like a kind of run through the framework. It's like, you know, using most of the, you know, important features uh, of the framework and you build a little application without digging too much into detail. And then you already get a kind of overview of, you know, what's going on and how you build things. And then I think you can like totally go into all the other chapters if you want to dig into some specific topics. Because, you know, when you, when you do this, uh, tutorial, Tours of Heroes, there, there will surely be some questions that come up. I don't know. If you, for example, there's one part where, uh, you generate a list of heroes using ng4. It's like the equivalent, uh, of ng repeat in Angular 2. But it's still different. The syntax is different. You have this asterisk symbol that you have to put into your template. And then uh, there are some pointers in the documentation that say something like, yeah, you know, if you want to read more about this particular kind of direct, then, you know, check out this chapter. So this probably already gets you there. And if it doesn't, then at some point you, you're probably going to check it out yourself. So I think, yeah, that's pretty much what you can do. You should start with a tutorial. And then questions will come up and then you will probably just dig into all the other chapters. And if you're already kind of familiar with Angular 2 and you, uh, you know everything that is happening in the, in the tutorial, then you probably just jump right into one of those other chapters. And if you know everything about that, well, then you should just talk to Naomi or talk to Ward so you can write some more documentation. Gotcha. So if someone in the community is at a spot where they can dedicate serious amounts of time, maybe somewhere like a domo or someone wants to put one of their employees to donate time to it, how do they get involved? Like who do they talk to and, and how much of an effect can they have on this documentation project that you guys are working on? I think that's a question for me. And um, the answer is um, contact me and tell me what you want to do and we will work something out because we have topics that need attention. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to some picks. Ward, do you want to start us off with picks? I saw a crazy good movie last week that would not appear in your regular theater. It's called Heart of a Dog. It's by Laurie Anderson, the multimedia artist that you may have heard about. And coincidentally, I just learned that her her uh, husband was uh, Lou Reed, who just died recently. But she stands on her own. I only knew her uh, uh, on her own. And shes it's this amazing avant-garde film full of wit and depth on a troubling subject, which is the death of the people we love. I know that sounds like I sounded like a real downer when somebody was going to take me on. I said, oh, great, the feel-good movie of 2015. But the darn thing is really, really worth seeing. So dig it out and check it out. She is amazing. All right. Aaron, what are your picks? I'm going to do one pick. 
and I'm at the Chrome Dev Summit right now, and they have some really cool code labs online, and they break down and make it really easy to learn some new things coming out in the web, like the physical web and Bluetooth, but they also have a tutorial for service workers, and for a lot of us who haven't maybe ever used one, it's a really good tutorial to like understand, hey, this is how it works, and like this is how you turn it on if it's available and turn it off if it's not available. And so the, the code labs from the Chrome Dev Summit are my pick, and we'll have a link to them on the show, but go check them out. There's some actually really cool 10, 15-minute tutorials you can walk through, code labs you can walk through to learn how to do some of these things that, that the Chrome team is teaching us about. So that's my pick. All right. Tomorrow, I'm going to be giving a speech at Toastmasters, and I know I've picked Toastmasters on here before, but... I'm just really excited because this is speech number 10 out of the Competent Communicator Manual. To basically uh, back that up a little bit so that non-Toastmasters people understand, uh, the first level of speaking competency or the Competent Communicator is the Competent Communicator Manual. And it includes 10 speeches. So since I'm giving my 10th speech, I'm about to complete my Competent Communicator and I'm really excited. So I'm talking about it on the show because yay me, right? Uh, but the other thing is, is that if you're looking for a way to increase your ability to communicate or to lead, uh, because the other basic manual is the competent leader manual, I highly recommend you go check out Toastmasters. If you go to a club and it doesn't seem quite awesome, uh, try a couple others in your area. I'm finding that I lucked out and walked into the one of the best clubs in the state where I'm at. And yeah, some of the other clubs are good, but less awesome. So if you're looking for a way to level up that way, then by all means, go check that out. And uh, that's my pick. Pascal, what are your picks? Well, I have two picks. So my first one is the new Nexus 5X. Uh, I got it a couple of days ago. I, I love it. It feels nice. It's not too big. It's not too small. And uh, something that I that I haven't thought before is that I really like the, the fingerprint sensor. It works very well, and uh, it feels very good. I dropped the phone like three days after I got it. And now it's damaged, but I'm going to get a new one, so that's nice. Um, yeah, so that's my pick. I like I like that phone very much. And my second pick is since I really like the you know the the Angular community, and there there are plenty plenty nice people out there that help you out every day on different chats, like you know Slack uh, chats or you know Gitter IM or whatever. And um, there's one guy who's like doing tons of community support. And he's also very active on Twitter, and he's sharing his latest and greatest uh, thoughts on Angular 2 and experiments. And uh, this is Rob Morwald. So you should definitely follow him on Twitter uh, if you want to get some nice updates. And uh, he's, he's definitely out there to help you if you have any questions. I second that. He's great. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Pascal, and sorry for all of the technical difficulties. That's all right. Thank you for, for having me. I blame Skype. Shakes fist at Microsoft. All right. Well, if people want to follow up on what you're doing or get involved in any projects that you're working on, what should they do? There are a couple of things that they can do. So, so you, you can follow me on Twitter, which is just my name, Pascal Trecht. <laughs> or you can follow ThoughtRam. And you can uh, subscribe to, to our blog. If you want, if you want to get technical articles um, almost weekly, then uh, you can do that. Can I plug that? Can I plug the ThoughtRam blog? Because that's a go-to blog for me. 
Yeah, how do you get to it? Oh, uh, well, it's just blog.thoughtram.io. I can I can awesome. give you a link and then... Yep. Yeah, put it in the I, chat. I consider we'll... one of the most important resources that an Angular 2 person should be following. Like right up there with Victor Savkin? Absolutely. But Victor, when Victor writes, it's magnificent, but he doesn't write as often as uh, Thoughtram. So uh, you should definitely follow both. Follow them both. Okie doke. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Tell your friends about the show and check out JS Remote Comp. We'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 